When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes, people. Welcome back to another episode of the New Spurs Order Pod. I'm on hosting duties again this week. It's Tapping Tobes here, aka NSO Goldberg, and I'm joined by this is what your second appearance on the pod. Um, one of our like our newest pod member, George. We were literally discussing off air about your your NSO name. You still need to come up with that one, man. Working on that one, working on that one. We're gonna have one real soon. Um, just need to get into my WWE bag, and uh, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, fair. Well, time is of the essence, so boy, do your do your thing, but do your thing quick. <laughs> do your thing quick, isn't it? and I feel like as the resident light-skinned brother on on the pod now, you have to sort of like do your thing quick and stand out. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, um, enough about um, enough about us. Let's 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 talk Spurs, man. Let's talk Spurs. Um, before we actually get into to Tottenham, um, for those who are listening as well, make sure you uh, are subscribed to the the pod across all socials. So TikTok, Instagram, um, Twitter, TikTok. Funnily enough, George alluded to earlier on where he's going to actually help us with um, something that he. Has been doing for quite a while. Would you call it Durag Diaries? But you're going to do like an NSO, NSO version. So so keep your keep your eyes and ears peeled for that when it drops. Um, I feel like you in Ohio, you can be best mates in that regard because he's been rocking up to pod sometimes with silk silk Durags and stuff. And Lord knows yeah, what he's getting up to. But boy, we've got to speak on them I'm things there. Yeah? Ready, ready to roll through. <laughs> Yeah, if you, if you join a TikTok, you'll see, man. It's a rainbow of durags ready to come. Just got to keep winning, though. <laughs> yeah, man. Speaking of winning, we need to get back to winning ways this upcoming weekend. But um, I'd be remiss of me if I didn't mention the, the previous weekend gone, where we didn't pick up three points. Um, let's talk about Everton away, because we obviously went to Goodison Park, a ground that we haven't actually lost at in years, you know. Um, we've not lost at Goodison Park in a long, long time. Um in the league anyway. I know we got knocked out of the cup a while back, but we've also not got three points. It's like, been like last... 10 years, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mad. It's mad. Like, I'm even dating it back to Poch. Poch's first season. I think we won 1-0 there. The season before that, I think we potentially might have lost. In fact, no, we didn't lose. Um, I think our last loss was in 2013. And I think Nick, uh, uh, Jelovic scored. Stephen P. scored. I think we lost the game 2-1. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We lost the game 2 yeah, exactly. Stoppage time, yeah. And I think um, Clint Dempsey scored our, our first goal. We were winning that game. But yeah, it's been a long time since we've lost there. But it's also been a long time since we've won there. So I think our last four or five matches there have been in the league anyway, have ended in a draw. 2-2 um, two, two draw again this, this recent match. And yeah, man, um, in typical fashion for Spurs over the last, I would say, six or seven weeks, yet again, we're talking about a game of two halves. And I feel like that seems to be a common theme, whether we win, lose or draw. Um, and let's talk on the positives, man, because we started the first half early, right? We started the first half early, courtesy of um, a Richarlison goal. Um, I think it was, what, like three or four minutes on the clock? Uh, Richarlison, 10 goals in 20 Premier League appearances now. Uh, 11 goals and I think, what, like 25 or 26 appearances for Spurs this season? Yeah. Boy, talk to me, man, because obviously you... I wouldn't say you hate Richarlison. I don't think you do hate Richarlison, but I feel like you feel like he's one of the pieces that need to be upgraded in the summer, but he keeps scoring, man. So talk to me about the first goal, what your thoughts are on the goal, and then talk to me about Richarlison again and, and where his future lies at Spurs, because I feel like we, we keep having this conversation every week and I think it's going to keep changing every week if you keep scoring, man. Yeah, no, exactly. The thing is, yeah, I've actually got no hate towards Richarlison. When he first came in, I was one of the guys saying he's going to do great and I expected him to push on. Last season was, I mean, it was a, it was an eye-opener <laughs> because one goal throughout the whole season, it, it, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And after that, it was sort of one of those things that you can't really back a player after that. Mm. He, he didn't give no merit to believe that he would perform this season. So I sort of, after that, I, I was backing him for a long way and it, he didn't give me nothing, nothing back. So then I was like, you know, I checked out this Richarlison stuff. This season, he started off well. I feel like his performances have, since the surgery, of course, they've picked up. But even prior to the surgery, I feel like his performances were decent. He's always always got a high work rate. But on that left side, it seemed like him and Son started to build a little relationship, relationship and start to have a lot better chemistry. Um, as of recently, though, He's took it to a, a new level. I can't lie. Richarlison, his all-round gameplay has been a lot better. Hold-up play, solid. Um, he, he's starting to... I feel like he's starting to find his best way of working in our team. He realises that he doesn't have to be too involved in the build-up play. He doesn't have to be too involved in all the different parts of the play. Just stay forward, press the back line, press the defenders, and then when we win the ball... Drop in deep for a one-two touch, but then go. Not trying to do one-two touch, try dribble forward, because that's not his game. He hasn't got that about him. And taking on players isn't something that he's gifted with. So I feel like Richarlison this season really starting to, I think, and just honing in on him, just focus on your strengths, focus on what you're good at, and let's just make you really, really good at those. Let's leave the weaknesses, because you're not going to get any better at certain things. So, so far, uh, and, and as of recently, picked up his performances a lot better. The goals have been important. Um, the goal against Everton, both goals. For like the first goal, let's let's talk about that for a moment. One touch yes. finish. I mean, it's been Go one on. of his one of his signatures this season, just the one touch finish, one touch finish. But on the left foot into the top corner, you, you really can't say much more about it. Werner done his job. Oh, getting in, um, 
Creighton, and it was a top finish, top top finish. What what did you think? Yeah, man, um, I was really really impressed with that finish, and I feel like a lot of people. The thing is, if he doesn't score that, we're saying you have to hit the back of the net, and I feel like as paid like elite professionals um, in football, they should like a striker should be a a decent striker should be connecting with that and like at, at the very least working the goalkeeper if not scoring so I do think if he hadn't put that away we'd, we'd be right to criticise him however we can't take anything away from the execution of the finish because even the build up I felt like it was a nice nice bit of play between Hoybier, Destiny and Werner um, and obviously Destiny doing what he does best whether, whether he's playing inverted or whether he's pulling out a bit to the left, he gets into that byline position and he puts in a really good cross. He had to put a lot of power on it so Richarlison could use the pace to sort of like blam it into the net. And I'm not going to lie, he's hit that first time. The ball's off the ground. He's hit that first time on his weaker foot and he's roofed it. So you have to give him credit for that finish, man. Really, really good finish. And on Richarlison as well, I know we'll talk about his second goal, um, but... It's, it's mad because I feel like he's actually, it's weird. He's he's given us a mix of things that we need, we sort of need from our number nine. And what I mean by that is like some weeks, even when he's not scoring, he's doing the off the ball pressing, he's holding up the ball, he's occupying centre-backs. And then against Everton, he's given us like a, a centre-forwards performance because it, against Everton, where he's been in recent weeks where he's actually been holding up the ball to a, to a good standard and he's been occupying centre-backs. I don't really feel like he did a lot of occupying against Everton's um, back back two centre-backs, like Brantway and um, and Tarkovsky. I don't really remember Richarlison sort of like backing up into them and holding on to the ball. I actually remember him losing the ball quite a lot in that game. I think he had something like 67% pass accuracy, lost the ball like 20 times, but what was most important for him was the goals, right? I think he had something like four attempts in that game, three on target, one was blocked, and two of them really, really good finishes. And I feel like if he can mix it up, like some weeks where even if you're not giving the defenders hell, you're in the right place at the right time to stick the ball in the back of the net or you're finishing the way he did on the edge of the box with his right for the second goal, boy, um, He'll have a long future at the club if that's the level that he's going to maintain from now up until the end of the season and, and, and beyond. And I guess let's talk about his second goal before we actually talk about the, the negatives of the first half. You talk to me like, what were your thoughts on the second goal? Because my, my goodness, I was like, wow, like, wow. I, I remember, I think the game before, what, who did, who did, Brentford game. Um, and I remember we we see we said he had a shot on the edge of the box. And we were like, "Oh, Richie, like you're showing us a little something." We had a proper mm. whip on it. Yeah, goal against Everton was everything that I feel like we needed to see. I feel like from a player like him who isn't really, you don't really see gifted or like proper goals from him. He's usually tap-ins, headers, like good finishes, but nothing that's gonna put, get you out of your seats. That was one where we all got up out of our seat, and I was like, Richie. Come on, man. That's exactly what we need to see. Mm. Mm. Top finish. Mm. Right in the top corner. So I feel like it is underrated the work that uh, Madison done for it to get the pass out to him. It was a a really awkward position for Madders to sort of flick the ball to that side and and turn his body a little bit. Um, But it was a class pass, class finish. Like the the whole link up play there was just top, top. 
Yeah, man. I feel like when we when we score our goals, like our, I really, really enjoy the build-up of our goals. Like, I can't lie. Like we we construct we've constructed some really good goals this season, and both our goals coming on the left-hand side as well. I think, like you said, your your point on Madison. I recall him doing something slightly similar against Crystal Palace um, to play in Brennan Johnson, who then played in Sun for a tap-in um, yeah. to put that to put us two 0 up in that game. I feel like the, the stuff that Madison does when he's in a congested area with players converging on him, we can't really like overlook it because it's great feet to sort of like get it, receive it, literally find your feet, like like play with the ball to a point where the defender can't take it off you and you flick it or pass it to one of our players just at the right time. So yeah, man, I, I think it was good work from him and it was really, really Really, really top from Richardson. Great finish. Buried Jordan Pickford as well. And um, respect to him for not celebrating against his his former club. Obviously, he still he still um, he still has Everton in such high regard as as one of his former clubs. But I think this is where the niceties end for me, as far as the first half is concerned, um, because that was probably I would say those were the two bright moments in what was, in my opinion, a very very uncomfortable first half for Spurs, man. Um, the first thing I want to touch on is the midfield, man. Um, because I feel like against Bournemouth in the first half, even though we won that game um, with a really good second half performance, um, in the first half, I felt like we lost the midfield battle after like the 20, 25th minute onwards. I felt like um, against Man City, the midfield was completely non-existent. Um even in the game against uh, Brentford, I felt like in the first half, we started well again, but it looked like once we went behind, like our midfield just weren't really getting their foot on the ball and keeping the ball. And I feel like that was a common theme against Everton as well. We really, really struggled to keep that ball and experienced players with with good, solid technical bases just giving away the ball, man. Madison was was quite poor, in my opinion. Bentoncourt was quite poor. Hoybier, you expect it from Hoybier because he's just a reckless player. But the, the other two, they needed they needed to do better. Um, I felt Everton credit to them because they actually played well in the first half. But I don't know, man. What was your assessment on on our midfield struggles? Yeah, no, the midfield has been a problem. I'd probably say one of our biggest problems since Afcon, since Saar and Basuma leaving. To be honest, I feel like midfield's just we've lost a lot of control. Um, Bentkur, I know he's come back from injury and he started off really well with his first couple games, the Man United game and so on. But I'd say Man City, Brentford, and then Everton have been three poor performances from him for the level that we that's, all expect of him as well. Poor performances mm-hmm. and. I do think it's definitely something we need to take into consideration of. He's maybe not fully, fully fit. Maybe he's still feeling yeah. some of the injury because he did come back a lot earlier than we expected. But also, I mean, it, it needs to be better. I think him and Hoyerberg just don't combine well. I, f- I feel like them two, whenever they're together, just doesn't really work. And Hoyerberg warranted the start off of his impact in the Brentford game, but He's a very up and down player as well. He, he's a player yeah. that we literally get a really good performance from and then a really bad performance and you can't really get an in between with him. So it is it is tough. And when you look at Everton's midfield, um, they didn't even have like the Onanas or the... They didn't have the Onana Decore sort of double that we, we thought would be able to run through our midfield. They come with Idris Agey, James Garner and, and Jack Harrison in the middle. Like it, it wasn't something that I expected to blast away and 
they done well. Yeah. Fair to them. They kept the ball really well. Um, they they yeah. dominated yeah. us at times. Even though we had more of the ball, I felt like with regards to the actual chances that they were creating and getting through our back line, they were dominating us. And it, it, they we were. lacked a lot of control. That, that That's the thing. And I feel like it's something that we need to focus on going into this next game is maintaining control throughout the game sort of going through those 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 10 15 minute periods where the, the other team usually takes the ball let's let's start to control the game just move the ball slow it slow it down you know similar to how arsenal man city do it mm-hmm. where they're just passing the ball around for 10 minutes yeah it's not always pretty and it's not exciting but it takes that little takes that fire out of the other team because when they're just chasing after the ball chasing it and we're moving it they're not going to have that energy to keep going in the 70th 80th minute when we're dro- when our levels are dropping so Definitely something we need to look at. But Madison, I agree, wasn't that good. But I use, I hold it down to Matt's sharpness for him, mainly that he just hasn't had enough games and is not sharp enough to get back to it. But again, another player that I expect in this Brighton game to really step it up and find his level again. Yeah, man. I think with, with Madison, it was it was a poor first half from him. Um, but he, like, and we'll talk on the, the contrast in the second half, because I do think the midfield, there was a lot more control in the second half. We more like assertive possession, keeping the ball better, progressing the ball, maintaining the ball in Everton's half. I felt like we did that much better. And James Madison was at the heart of that in the second half. Much better performance for him in the second half. But I just want to zero in on, on your point on, on the midfield lacking control, because I think the obvious and... Um, the, the obvious and I, and I think most critical aspect is retaining the ball. And I think we've struggled to do that like well enough over the course of a game. Like we do it in spells. We don't, it's not sustained. We do it in spells, then we'll lose it in spells. But one of the things I think we've sort of missed in recent weeks is dual winning as well. Like I think against Everton, I'll read you the statistics. Uh, Benton call, seven ground jewels contested 2-1. That's what, like that's less than just over what a third of his jewels won. Aerial jewels, five contested, one one, right? Hoybier against Everton, um, ten jewels, ground jewels contested, five one. That's fifty percent. Aerial jewels, zero contested, zero one. Madison in the midfield, nine jewels contested, four one. Um, aerial jewels, zero contested, zero one. Obviously, right? Um, We've not only been quite poor in recent weeks at keeping the ball, retaining possession and progressing and maintaining possession in final in the opposition's half, but we've also been quite poor at winning the ball back, putting that pressure on the opposition and winning the first and second balls as well. So that's something that's really hampered us. And it's no coincidence as well that the two best midfielders at dual winning in in our midfield are missing and Spurs suddenly drop off a level in terms of our ability to actually like physically like um beat up or match teams in the midfield so it was definitely something i saw in the first half um it got better in the second half but guys like james garner dominated that game from a physical perspective because our midfield just really couldn't move him off the ball at times so um yeah man food for thought in the first half but we were 2-1 up second half as i already alluded to much better performance, more attempts than we had in the first half, um, better use of the ball. Um, but again, the same problems we had in the first half still reared its ugly head in terms of the set pieces. So let's talk on the set pieces, man, because uh, we conceded in the first half courtesy of a set piece. We conceded the equaliser courtesy of a set piece. Before we talk on the equaliser itself, 
what's your assessment on that whole set piece scenario? Jack Harrison standing next to Vicario. Who's at fault here? Um, are we looking at Vicario? Are we looking at the coaching staff? Are we looking at the players? Who is at fault for you? For me, I don't know. Someone for someone that's I, I've seen a lot of people call out Vicario, but for me, as someone that's played football and uh, I've I've been a centre back. I look at the other centre-backs and look at the other defenders for being at fault here. Because um, the way that I see it is if someone's marking your goalkeeper, which is it's basic in football, sometimes defenders and other players are going to mark your goalkeeper during the corner. Your job is to keep that guy away from the goalkeeper because he's, he's preventing the goalkeeper's movement. I get, of course, we do zonal marking and the defenders aren't going to look to go man-to-man but for me, it's just poor defending. It, it, I, I don't really look at Vicario and say that he's at fault or that he should start pushing players out of the way because if he gives away a penalty, then who are we going to be looking at as, as as the culprit? It's going to be Vicario. So I think it's something that the coaching staff definitely need to address because it's happened in our past three games where the goalkeeper's being targeted on set pieces and we're conceding from these set pieces simply because he, he, he can't move and then the defenders are getting caught out and they're just getting an extra man into positions that they don't need to be having them in. So it, I think it's a defending issue. I think it needs to be addressed by the coaches, but it's an, it's an issue with the defenders because regardless of what the instructions are from the coach, you sh as a player on the pitch should be picking up on that or Vicario should be telling the players, come look, he's in my way, move him. And it's as simple as that. Yeah, man, I agree. I agree. Um, Initially, when I did my post-match reaction on my channel, I was like, yeah, Vicario needs to be stronger. And I still feel like in some respect he can be. But then when I deep it, he actually dealt with a fair share of like set pieces quite well. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, Jack Harrison is literally standing right, by, right in front of this guy and he's obstructing him from, from making good connection with the ball. And yes, I get it. Goalkeepers, they're allowed to use their hands whilst others can't. So in theory, they they have more of a sway in terms of like like getting rid of that ball when 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 the ball gets swung into the box however you're right i think the center backs um as a either a byproduct of a center back sort of like just taking responsibility or as a result of an instruction from the coaching team i think someone needs to take responsibility there and be like you know what cool if you're going to try and sit on vicario i'm going to try and sit in between you and vicario to make sure you don't um, impact our goalkeeper's ability to sort of yeah. claim this ball or punch it out. So whatever solution they come up with, they need to come up with it fast because I think, like, to your point, I think teams are are using it as a tactic. Brentford did against us. Um, I can't remember who else. Man City did it against City, us. So three, yeah. Exactly. So three, three of our last four matches, we've seen it happen to Spurs. Um, so... There's a lot of physical centre backs in this league. There's there's a lot of teams who who capitalise on set pieces, and it's it's definitely one thing that we need to be mindful of as well. Um, but yes, second half, much better performance in possession. Probably should have killed the game um, because I feel like with Spurs sometimes we actually need to score three or more goals to to end this yeah. game of football because of the way we play. But we didn't get the third goal. Um, we carried a two one lead right up until the death. And I want to talk about some of the substitutions because obviously Ange made, uh, I think he made five subs in total that game. Or was it four or five? Four, five. So the first, first two substitutions, um, first two substitutions were, one second, let me just bring it up here. So it was San Kulisewski that came 
on. So Kuliseski came on for Brendan Johnson, which I think most people were expecting to see. And I feel like Brendan Johnson didn't really get much of the ball in that game. And Papi Matasar obviously came on for Bentoncourt, who we've already spoken about as having a poor, yeah. poor game in this match. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with those subs in isolation. But within the context of the game, as poor as Benton Core was playing, I'm not sure whether you agree or not, but like there was no way on earth Benton Core should have been the first midfield sub there. It should have oh, been yeah. Hoybier for me. Because Hoybier was the one that was giving away the ball the most of any of any of our midfielders. He's the only midfielder that we had in that game that started that had a lower, lower than 80% pass accuracy in that match. So he was in typical Hoybier fashion, reckless with the ball. I don't know how Ange Postacoglu decided that Hoybier should should continue, but okay, cool, fine. You've taken off Bentoncourt and Johnson for Kulu and Saar. Fine. We're in the 86th minute, and you can obviously see Everton are going to try and push push for the for the goal even more. So they're going to commit more bodies forward, try and lump balls into the box. I don't know about you, but for me, I, I felt like that was a period where we needed the guys who were really good on the ball to actually keep it, keep the ball, keep take it. this thing out of the game. And where there's an opportunity to sort of counter and get another goal, then do it. But Ange then pr- proceeds to bring on Dragusin to switch to a back three, which we can talk about. Um, he then brings on Skip for Hoybier, and he then brings on Brian Hill for Werner. And I felt like all three of those subs put together made made it difficult for Tottenham to actually keep control of this game because he takes off Madison, right? And he takes off essentially another midfielder. So we're, we're, we're light in midfield. We're stronger at centre-back, but we're light in midfield. So we have one less body to keep the ball, right? And then we have essentially no outlets. Let's be real, because you've taken off Werner and Brennan Johnson, we have no one who's going to stretch that back line from a pace perspective because Kulisevsky, even though he's an outlet, he's not going, to, he doesn't have the blistering pace to sort of like, like get in behind defences, right? Yeah. So, yeah, man, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm not blaming Ange in totality for Spurs um, dropping points, but I do think he has some, he has to take some has to take accountability because like you said the first two subs wasn't always in, in agreement but I, I sort of get the thought process and behind it because I know Hoiberg's the only midfielder we have that will actually just sit in front of the defence and, and play that role um, mm. but I, I do agree bringing on Hill and then bringing on Skip I, I, I'm not a fan of Skip at all I, f- I feel like Skip doesn't really offer us anything in games against teams where we're dominating and we're and we're playing really good. He he's even a passenger in those games and still doesn't provide much. So bringing him on in a game that we're winning, but we're we're conceding a lot of pressure just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and then the other two subs, like you said, Dragusin, we can talk about the the back three. I get the thought process and behind the back three, I, I really do because in these games where everything we're getting leggy the players we're getting dominated always pretty much every game when it comes down from the 85th minute onwards we get dominated and we're just conceding a lot of long balls into the box mm-hmm. a lot of set pieces so it makes sense to bring on another center back to tackle that 100%. my problem with that like you said is it then takes usually another man out of midfield so that when we win the ball back we're just forced to hoof it back forward anyway in which the team is going to bring the ball back towards us so it's one of those things that we're losing 
although we're getting another man in defence to help bolster defence, we're losing control of the game anyway because we're, we're taking another man out of the midfield. And th that was exactly the problem is that when we did, when we was 2-1 up and we were getting the ball to Kulu, getting the ball to Brian Hill, there's, there's no one else for them to play the ball off to then do a 1-2 and pass some run because it's just one of the... They're literally, Gill's down here picking up the ball, isolated, got three, man, three Everton players surrounding yep. him. I don't expect him to do anything. Like, literally, doesn't do anything with the ball. And the same for Kulu. He did actually drag the ball up and then I think it was him that lost the ball in trying yeah, to get the ball. Yeah, we're going to speak on him. We're gonna speak today. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. A lot of people are waiting to speak on my boy, but nah, not even on that one. But like, he he needs to he needs to have the hair dry treatment for for the for his yeah. bit of play in the lead up to the equaliser. But sorry, I inter I interrupted you. No, no, no. You, you are definitely right because this isn't the first game that he's given away a goal or or an important goal that's dropped us points. So it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. Um, but. I, I don't blame him for, of course, giving the ball away because there's no one to give the ball to when, when we're playing that narrow and we've got 1v1 battles against. On the wings, at that at that point in the game, it's not something that you need to be relying on. So definitely something that I think Ange takes part blame for it. The team itself could have defended the corner a lot better. I mean, the, the flick on for Romero didn't really help. And yeah, it's one kick. of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and, yeah. and a lot of people are questioning Vicario's positioning. I didn't really look into it too much, but a lot of people have said that he was behind his goal line when the board come in or something like that. So maybe that needs to be addressed as well. But it's not something that I focused on or even noticed, to be honest. I think that's that's next level nitpicking, and I wouldn't even call it nitpicking. I'm saying that's more like that's like literally layer zero analysis, like yeah. really, really deep analysis, which which I can understand some people would want to do, but ultimately we need to not give away set pieces. And I think that's where Kulu's culpable because I don't know what it is about Kulisevsky, but him and him, Lacelso, I'm trying to think of sometimes Basuma, like they have a tendency, and sometimes Romero, they, they have tendencies to give away these dumb free kicks in positions that can really hurt Spurs. And I don't know why they do it. Like, I take your point on board that, obviously, when Kuliseski received the ball um, in stoppage time, he had he didn't really have many options in front of him. But my thing with Kuliseski is, when I look at that attack that we have right now, he's the best at retaining the ball. He's the one that can actually keep the ball by either dragging Spurs up a couple of yards, holding on to it, and then making the right pass, or just being stronger uh, when he does have it, when he's being converged on by the opposition players. But he did neither of the two. He lost the ball, and then, okay, fine, you've lost the ball because you've been crowded out, cool. But in your effort to try and win the ball back, just be responsible, please. Be responsible. Don't give away any silly fouls. There's literally like a minute and a half left on the clock. Don't give away any silly fouls, but he gives away a stupid free kick, knowing the pressure that we've had to endure all game as a result of their set pieces. They, for the most part, bullied Spurs at the set pieces, and you're giving away a set piece. Like, once he gave away that set piece, I knew we were going to concede. Like, genuinely, I knew we were going to concede. And yeah, man, I, it's hard. It's like, I do think Ange is culpable, but at the same time, I'm also like Spurs fans have wanted a plan B from Ange Postacoglu to close out games. And I think the Dragusin sub, it's a bit of a plan B because I think he did it against yeah. um he did it against United, I think, or was it a straight straight sub, to be fair? It was, we, we were in the back four. 
He did um, against, I think United went back four, but he definitely done a back five against Brentford. I remember that. Against Brentford, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did a back five against Brentford. And, and maybe that's a new tactic for Ange to sort of bring on the spare centre-back and make it a three-man uh, centre-back pairing to try and, like, close off any space for the attackers and defend aerial aerial balls into the box. And I think it's something different, but, like, when you're employing something different, it also needs to factor in the impact that's going to have on the rest of the team because if you are taking off another midfielder for a centre-back, then you have to make sure that the two midfielders that are ending the game have to be midfielders who can keep the ball to a good standard. Saar can keep the ball to a good enough standard, but even he was quite poor and gave away the ball a couple of times. And then Skip, I think he's the worst of our midfielders when it comes to actually not losing the ball, but when he's under pressure, I think he will lose the ball. Like he's the one, yeah. I would say, he can easily be pressed the most out of our midfielders. So that midfield didn't feel me confident. And then Gill out on the flanks, doesn't really have the pace to get past players, doesn't really have the strength to carry the ball over long distances whilst being challenged by the opposition. So I just think there needs to be certain things that Ange takes into consideration when he is switching to a back three. But yeah, man, um, I'm sure there'll be lessons learned off the back of that game. Um, let's move on to this weekend, right? We've obviously got Brighton at home. Uh, our home record outside of the FA Cup has actually been quite good in recent weeks. We beat, what is it? We beat Bournemouth, we beat Everton, we beat um, Brentford, um, beat Newcastle. Yeah, I think we've won like four home games straight or something like that. So um, we're, we're trying to get back to, to um, making our ground a bit of a fortress. And this is another test. We've got two back-to-back -back weeks at home. And I think we definitely need to take advantage of that. Um, just before we get into player assessments, et cetera, et cetera, what are your expectations on this game? Do you know, considering we've got a full team back, this is probably the most players that we've had available since the start of the season. Um, the likes of Basuma, Sar, and we, we actually have options to come off the bench in this game. I expect to see a lot of better performances all round. Um, anyone that does perform poor in the game should be able to get subbed for a relatively like same level midfielder, same level player. So we have options. Um, Brighton have players coming back. So I know Brighton aren't going to be a walkovers at all, but I expect this to be a game where we go and prove ourselves and show the rest of the league that when we have our full team back, we can play football. Because, um, of course, these last couple of games have been sort of high scoring, not a lot of control from us. And it's more been just, can we get more goals than the other team? This game, we need to, as you've said, like retain possession a lot better. I feel like that's one thing that I feel like we need to focus on. And like, it's a key thing that I want to see this game. I want to see us control the game. I want to see us retain the ball better. I want to see us move the ball better because there's been some games where we can't even string five or six passes together. Man City, especially, we really struggled on the ball. So I'd like to see us just get a lot better on the ball performance-wise and defensively as well. Defensively, we need to look better. Now we've got our full team back. There should be no excuse as to why we're conceding so many chances because in these games against teams like Brighton are no pushovers again like Brighton are a very good team who score a lot of goals um, and they put four past us last time but even with them putting four past us with that back four that we had we still managed to break through them and we still managed to maintain sort of some like the chances they had were they just took advantage they had the penalty they had the banger 
and then the other two goals are just two goals that they scored. So I feel like with our full team back, there's no reason as to why Brighton should be going in straight through us or and creating loads of chances. Um, so, don't yeah, remind me about that Brighton game, man. That was horrible, horrible. I actually went to that game as well in the rain. And we they they battered us, man, for like 60, 70 minutes of that game. They absolutely battered us, man. They really did. They really did. Um, but you're right, though. You're right. I think we showed in the last 20 minutes of that game what we're capable of doing. Um, obviously, Brighton dropped off because they were, what, 4-0 up. So they didn't really need to keep going and going. And I think some of their players had guessed out. But in that in that spell, you saw Spurs create enough to possibly even possibly even even left of a point. So that shows you what we're capable of doing against Brighton, right? Um, and I think at home, like you said, with better players available both to start and on the bench, um, we should see an uptick in performance. I do think though moving on to some of those players available, I think there needs to be also some patience exercised as well, because obviously you've got guys like Basuma, who's back and, and fit now, um, but he yeah. had malaria during AFCON, so he didn't really play as many minutes as, as we would have liked for him to play for Mali. Um, and Postacogli says both him and Son are ready to start, but I wouldn't be shocked if we saw both of them chill on the bench. bench. But if yeah. they're chilling on the bench, that should mean in my opinion, Benton called, try and use this as an opportunity to get back to the levels you were showing us when you first came back from injury, right? Because stuff like winning jewels, like Benton calls good at winning jewels, and yet you weren't winning any of the any a lot of your jewels against um against Everton or against Brentford. So he needs to get back to his normal levels. Madison, he's cooking small, but he's also rusty small as well. So obviously we need him to just keep getting more minutes in his legs and and keep up in the performances as well. I want to talk on um, Basuma and Sardo because I don't know, man. <laughs> it's mad. Obviously, Basuma left. He left. <laughs> he left us off the back of a red card against Nottingham yeah. Forest. Didn't see him again for the rest of the 2023. And then in 2024, he's been at Afcon. Obviously, Marley got knocked out of the quarterfinals by Cote d'Ivoire, but. I don't know, man. I feel like we've missed Basuma, or better yet, we've missed the combination of Basuma and Saar in games. And it's mad to think that we've not had the combination of Basuma, Saar and Madison since early November. That's yeah. over three months, bro. Over that, three months we've, we've say, had that, that, that combination. I think Saar, for me, I genuinely think Saar might be the key to our midfield sort of being put together nicely. I feel like he's the man that comes in and just does his role so good, sort of the long legs, mm. the box-to-box, linking up with Poro and Kulu and just knowing where to occupy on the pitch. And then you partner him up with either Bentacore, Basuma, and then obviously Madison. I feel like he's sort of the, the, the key to the cog to make it all work. But also bringing Basuma back in, I feel like with Basuma having the timeout, he had a few bad performances leading into that Nottingham yeah. game and he just wasn't really yeah. looking himself. And we were all questioning what, what's happened to the early season Basuma. That a lot of those games were played without Madison. I feel like with Madison back in, Basuma's sort of going to find his confidence again. It's obviously not something that we want. I don't want one of my like, centre mids to rely on another centre mid being there to play yeah. that is better. 
But mm. it is what it is. I generally think that Madison brings up the performances of a lot of these players because he takes the responsibility off them. They don't need to do so much on the ball. They know they just need to win the ball, get the ball to Madison, and he's going to make the plays. So it, it takes that little bit of responsibility off him. And I expect Basuma, when if he does come in tomorrow, whether it's in the starting lineup or coming off the bench, I expect to see him back to his best levels and sort of partnering up with, like you said, um, Saar and Madders, because that, that's the trio that we saw at the start of the season. And it was scintillating football, honestly. Yeah, and I think it's, it goes both ways, right? Because defensively, the balance that Saar and Basuma give us is is the best. Like, there's no there's no better pairing we can have defensively than Basuma and Saar. Like, I think Benton calls a strong shout because he's quite good defensively. But those two as a pairing off the ball, really, really good. Basuma, great at winning the ball back. Saar just dominates big space. Like he's someone that's really good at defending big spaces, especially like you said, when Poro goes forward and goes inverted, et cetera, et cetera. Tracking runners, counter-pressing, like these guys are on it. And off the, on the ball, Basuma, I think we've missed, we've missed his first phase play. Like we've seen it in spells with Benton Cole, but in recent weeks it's dropped off. But Basuma, undoubtedly, he's the best at picking the ball from the centre-backs and beating the press, two free players and finding a midfielder, finding an attacker. Like we've missed that dynamic and I'm looking forward to seeing that back. And I'm also looking forward to having options on the bench, man. Like Sun being back is a good thing for Spurs. I can't believe the discourse I was seeing on Twitter. Some people actually, obviously like I can understand him not starting this week because obviously he's played 120 minute matches in two out of his last three South Korea games. Obviously they got knocked out of the semi-finals. So maybe there's physical and emotional fatigue. I understand he may not be able to start, but some people are actually questioning from a form perspective, whether he should, whether he should ride bench uh, for the foreseeable because Werner has got, bruv man, Timo Werner, you know, like this is why you can't, bruv, Timo Werner. People are actually questioning whether Son should start ahead of Timo Verna, bro. Stinky. Stinky, stinky, stinky. I get it. Like you said, because of everything that's gone on for him just this weekend, I get it. Maybe drop him for just this weekend. It's not even dropping him at that stage. It's just like giving him a bit more rest. But to think that Son would be dropped for any of the attackers that we've got, (laughs) Timo Werner, let alone Timo Werner, is nuts. Son has been our best attacker for however many All years. Season. Best All season, bro. All season. As well. And <laughs> there's just no chance. Like, you talk about goals to games and everything. Like, Richarlison's been in top, top form. Son's been in the same form. He just We just haven't seen him for the, for the past month. Because he had about, mm. what, 10 goals and 15 games in striker as well. So yep. this is what we're, we're talking about having good problems. This is definitely a good problem to have that we're talking about dropping one of our best players because other players are in good form. But mm-hmm. to think that people would even consider not putting Son in our best 11, nuts. nuts. It's mental. It's mental. It's mental. But we we don't speak mm-hmm. on them things. They were just happy that he's back um, this weekend. Very happy that he's back this weekend. Um like you said, I would understand if he didn't start, but I would also understand if he did start. Um, we'll have to wait and see what the manager goes with. But uh, question to you again, similar to the last pod we did. Um, I'm going to ask you who would be your starting midfield and attack and what score prediction are you going for? Yeah, this was something that I've been trying to think about the best trio mm. to start off in midfield. And for me, 
I would go with Ben. I think Ben Tucker has to start just because I'm a I'm a big fan of Ben Tucker, and I really think these you past, are, yeah, the, the past performances don't represent him very well, and I feel like not just, he deserves he deserves the opportunity to come back into this team and um, prove that he, he's not at that level. So I'd start with him, and then Saar. I think Saad, he only didn't start last week because he had just come back um, from the AFCON, but he's a bona fide starter in my team, no matter what. I mean, at the start of the season, I would consider dropping other players for him, but I just think that he fits so well in this team and in the Ange system that he has to start. And then, of course, you go with Madders to, um, to complete the midfield. The front line, I would go with... Uh, I'd go Kulu on the right, no doubt about that, and then Richie in the middle. The left side... I'd personally go for Son just because I feel like if you can close the game out early and then take him off, it's better than bringing him on and chasing the game. Um, but I understand why people wouldn't start him. But yeah, I'd go for Son. I'd go for just starting our best team. He, he Son is one of the fittest players in world football, let alone in, in our team. And I don't feel like it's going to phase him playing 120 minutes and having to play on the weekend. Um, he can come off after 45, 50 minutes if it's need be. But I feel like we should definitely start him because he, he's so key to our team. Plus, I feel like he links up really well with Richarlison. Do you think it might be a bit, you know, like unfair for Werner? Like, I get why people won't want to drop him, but it's not like he's been amazing and undroppable. He's just got two or three assists that have been key to us and he's had a good impact, but it's not been a big enough impact to think that he should um, start ahead of Son. 100%. I'll be real. Werner was was dead against Everton. I'm not going to lie. I don't. I didn't rate his performance against Everton. I felt like outside of his the, the build up for the um, for the first goal, I didn't really like his game at all. Um, he didn't shoot with conviction when he had the opportunity to shoot. The decisions he took with the ball was just questionable and just Werner like. It's literally Werner like. Like he does dumb things with the ball because he's just not. A talented footballer, like, and that's coming from someone who is terrible at football. But if I'm analysing, <laughs> if I'm analysing top flight footballers, right, he is very, he's very much one of the lowest ranked footballers in the Premier League from a technical perspective when we're comparing attackers. So, yeah, man, um, I would be happy to see Son come back into the team. Um, I think with the midfield, it's mad because Benton Core and Saad, they've actually not started together more than once. I think they've only started once. We won the game 3-1 against Bournemouth, but Benton Core didn't really play that well. Um, Saar, obviously he scored, but then had to go off injured as well, which helped, which annoyingly disrupted the dynamic in the midfield. But like you said, NSG thing, we got options, man. We got options. Like there's there's very few combinations that's gonna make me upset in this game unless I'm seeing Skip and Hoybia starting in the midfield together. That will make me upset. Anything else? I feel like I can I confirm and I'll be for the most part happy with same in the attack excluding Werner. So let's see, <laughs> let's see, man. I think I'm going to go. I can't imagine honestly. Skip and Hoiberg takes me back to Mourinho days, and that was a dark, dark time. Honestly, and Conte, like, Mourinho and Conte. Yeah. To be fair, not not so much Mourinho, Conte, because Skip Skip was on loan during Mourinho time, so it was, was more was, Conte times. Yeah, no, it was it was a dark time in our life, and don't need them them two back in the team together at all, especially when we've come so far. Yeah, we got the thing is when you when you deep it, even Lacelso is back fit as well. So there's actually so many options that we can go for. When if Madison gets tired now, you can bring Lacelso off the bench to sort of like impact the game, um, and he gives us probably the most similar 
um, the most similar sort of like characteristic that we look for Madison outside of Kulu in that left eight role. So yeah, man, um, it will be good to actually have him available on the bench because we've got game changers, man. We won't need to see Hoybier and Skip come on the pitch. So let's see. Um, Noja Pedro as well. He's injured and he cooked us in the in the reverse game. So um, don't wish injury on players, but I would be lying if I said I'm I'm, I'm upset by that news. So um, they're still dangerous. They're still a team that I feel like we need to be better at in terms of pressing them when their defenders have the ball. Yeah. And I also feel like they can play through our press. Like Brighton are a team that can actually play through pressure. So we just need to be mindful of that. And um, the midfield battle is key, man. We need to win that midfield battle. If we win that midfield battle, we're, we're, we're going to win that game of football. So, yeah, I'm going to go for a 3-1 win to Spurs. Um George? Oh, yeah, I forgot my prediction, didn't I? Oh, um, I'm going to go... I said a clean sheet last week, but I was lying to myself. It's definitely not going to be one to, um, tomorrow either. So I'm going to go for 2-1. I think it will be tight. I do think it's going to be a tight win, but 2-1. 2-1. Fair, fair, fair. All right. Well, at least we're both going for a win. Hopefully Spurs get the win. Um, George, thanks for coming on the pod. Um, this is, what, your second perfect. appearance in three weeks? Yeah, kind of becoming a bit of a habit. Let's 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 um let's keep it going, man. Let's keep it going. Um, for those who are still listening, make sure you subscribe to our socials as well: TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. One word: New Spurs Order. And also follow the main uh, social handle as well. So it's Touchline Fracker. One word on Twitter, aka X, TikTok, and Instagram. Um, yeah, take care. Peace out, and we'll speak next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.